Every prophet has a unique message. There are 18 books of prophecy in our one Bible, and we've been working our way through the Old Testament this morning with only two to go. We come to Zechariah. Zechariah is called the prophet of the Holy Spirit because he identified a period in time between the first and second coming of Christ when God was going to pour out on his church a spirit of prayer that would generate a movement and response in prayer that the world had never seen before. Zechariah chapter 8 has ten times in the one chapter. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Ten times. And it culminates the last two times, verses 20 to 23. It begins, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and to seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat Him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Now, those last few words, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. This is obviously not talking about the omnipresence of God. That is everywhere. It is as much with Muslims and Buddhists or atheists as it is with Christians. This is identifying the manifest presence of God. We have heard that God is somehow tangibly, specifically, in a very real way, perceivably, with you. And because He's with you, we want to join you in seeking and entreating the Lord. Now, when you put these words together from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 to 23, what we find is that there will be a time in history when there will be such a massive global movement of prayer that will capture the imagination of people that God will somehow so conspicuously reveal Himself present in the middle of His praying people, that He will have mobilized His people to prayer, to encountering Him in such an infectious way that the nations will rise up and the world-class cities and all language groups will rise up 
and gather with God's people in prayer. Ten non-Jews taking hold of every true Jew by the hem of their garment, by their pant leg, by their sweater, and saying, we have heard that God is with you. We want to join with you. Now, how many of you would like to be part of something like that? May God infect you with this. This is a vision. This is not going to simply be fulfilled in the millennium after the return of Christ, because then all peoples of the earth will be gathered under the supremacy of Christ. But this is something prior to that. Now, it's interesting in history, throughout church history, from the beginning on, these words of Zechariah have been captured by the great revivalists of history. Jonathan Edwards, who, of course, during the Great Awakening, uh, pastored a church in Massachusetts uh, during the thick of revival. And uh, it started really with this section here, so to speak. With, there was a youth movement of prayer of many of the youth coming to Christ and uh, responding to the gospel. And then it spread throughout the town and it rippled down into New Jersey and, and across the plains and, and the, it spread here and there and leaped over to England and other parts of the world. Jonathan Edwards' favorite text was this one in Zechariah chapter 8 verses 20 to 23. From this text, he wrote the well-known treatise which is known by the abbreviated title, An Humble Attempt. The full title was A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth. Now let me just unpack that a little bit. Okay, it's a humble attempt that's been called New England modesty. A humble attempt to promote. This is a mobilizing treatise. It was a book that he wrote, but almost a manifesto. To promote what? Explicit agreement. Well, what kind of agreement? And visible union. That means the gathering together of corporate gathering of people. For what purpose? For extraordinary prayer. So it's mobilizing prayer across racial, denominational, uh, geographical lines. And why are they praying? For the revival of religion, that's reviving of the church, and the advancing of Christ's kingdom in society. So it's what we refer to as fullness and fulfillment the inworking of the Holy Spirit, and the outworking of the Holy Spirit, all that comes by prayer. Now that title is exactly what Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 to 23 
is pointing toward. Now, God is on Jonathan Edwards to rally the troops on earth toward the fulfillment of this. He was convinced that he was living in the day of the fulfillment. He didn't realize that that was but a birth pang toward the final fulfillment. Let me tell you, there is a movement going on on earth today. We are living in the middle of it, of a much more extraordinary prayer rally that's going on on our planet today, of which we are part. God is mobilizing prayer today unlike any other time in history. For the first time in history, it was like 20 years ago, on an airport in Seoul, Korea, there were a million Christians that gathered for hours to pray for revival and the evangelization of the world. That had never happened until that point, And our lead elder was there on that airport. And so was Beverly. Would you stand just to, to prove that I'm not making this stuff up? Yeah, we can clap for that. Now, that never happened before. Why were they gathered? They were there for extraordinary prayer, for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth. There are today over 200 million Christians who pray every day for revival and who say that's their primary reason for being alive is to pray for revival. That has never happened before. God is mobilizing prayer today in ways that we have never seen before. Now, for this to be fulfilled, for this to be fulfilled, for Zechariah, put that scripture back up, uh, the end of it, uh, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. For this to be fulfilled, for ten non-Jews to take hold of Jews by their clothing, ten at a time. The way I calculated it, there's only, it's only possible for ten people to get a piece of you. This is like it couldn't be anymore. You just imagine ten people getting up to you and grabbing some part of you. That's about as many as could possibly fit to grab part of you and to say, we want to go with you. Now, for that to be fulfilled, God's got to really do something. The biggest miracle that Christ performed after his resurrection was putting the finishing touches on the upper room. Getting all those disciples, 120 of them, ready to go to the upper room and wait for 10 days for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That took a miracle. First of all, he had to take a bunch of cowards. He had to transform them. He had to convince them that he was really risen from the dead. He had to put in them a desire for all that God had for them to change their chemistry, the way they were wired, their own inner disposition, and, and to want to pray for ten days. That took a miracle. What Zechariah is prophesying is that that will be multiplied by thousands. That there will be such a miracle in the church that people who are part of the church will want to pray. That takes a miracle. 
It took a miracle in me. I was in the church for years and I didn't want to pray. You couldn't drag me to a prayer meeting. When I was first born again, my parents dragged me to prayer meeting. I couldn't stand it. I kept looking at my watch. I kept mocking the prayers. I kept finding fault with what was going on. It was an utter boring, tortuous ordeal for me to sit in a prayer meeting. God had to work a miracle in me. And not just corporately, but privately. He had to work a miracle in me to get me to the place where I enjoy spending time just resting my... Oh, great. Resting my elbows on the windowsill of heaven to gaze on my God every day. It's my favorite time of day. I ask for a lot, but I like the time I don't ask for anything. All I do is I just take Him in. And I can't get enough of Him. But I'm telling you, God had to work a miracle in me to get me there. For me to want to go to be with God, to just spend time with God, required a miracle. And when that miracle took place inside of me, it was amazing to then, it was like I couldn't get enough. It's like, what have I been waiting for so long for? I was made for this. God made me for Himself. So He worked it in me. Then He put it in me to love, to gather with people who are different than I am. In corporate prayer gatherings. To spend time with Him. Why? Because God is with us. And He wants to share Himself with us. And then, God put it in me to share what He'd put in me with others. And that was like a third conversion. My first conversion in prayer was just to spend time with God, just me and Him. I was saved, but I didn't, I didn't like Him. I mean, I liked him, but I didn't like hanging out with him. I, I was born again. And I didn't even like spending time with him. That's pretty bad. But then there was a conversion. He changed something to where I just like spending time with him. Even if he doesn't do anything else for me, then let me just look at him and think about him. Then I, he converted me a second time to enjoy the corporate gathering of his people because I could see more of him than when I was just alone. I could see a lot more of him when I was with him with others. And then the third conversion is when he put it in me to, to bring others with me, to be a catalyst to lead others. Now I want to just tell you a couple of stories. The first, is uh, we're going to go to Cote d'Ivoire. In Cote d'Ivoire, we were invited to Cote d'Ivoire. This is the next slide. 
We're invited to Cote d'Ivoire to see the church in action. When we were there, they invited us back the next year. They said, we will gather every pastor in the country. And they did. And when we were there, go back. We'll find it. No, we're going, there we are. When we were there, they said, we want you to train us in prayer. So we went back, they gathered 265 pastors from all across Cote d'Ivoire. And there was not um, anyone dozing off. It was cutting edge. Everyone was engaged. When we preached, they responded. When we prayed, they erupted. They were so hungry. They knew and we knew it was a defining moment for the church in Cote d'Ivoire. And when we called for repentance, we had three stations to go to for confession of sin and coming clean. And the three weren't enough because there were 20 people in each line. So we established eight repentance stations. And it still took eight hours of repentance. They confessed every sin you could imagine. It was gut-wrenching, bone-crushing repentance. And it was real. When it was over, they were different. You could feel it. It was clean. There was an authenticity. There was a freedom, a lightness, a joy, and a love for Christ like I had never seen in their faces before. Then three months later, the country fell to the political coup and the UN forbade any North Americans from going in. We went back six years later and with tears they said, we don't think the church in Cote d'Ivoire would have survived the Civil War if it had not been for the College of Prayer because you taught us how to open the door to the supernatural and how to avoid excess. Yeah, that's what they said. And they invited us back. And their goal when the College of Prayer was started, they wanted to be a missionary church. Just like Jonathan Edwards said, revival in the church and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth. They wanted, it, they wanted the fullness of Christ in the church and they wanted to become a missionary church. They had not at that point sent out one missionary. Today, eight years later, the church has tripled in size. They now have 650,000 baptized believers. They have sent out 48 missionaries. And they have 18 campuses of the College of Prayer. And they've planted about a dozen others outside of the country. It's all part of the fulfillment of Zechariah 8, 20 to 23, of God pouring out His Spirit, mobilizing prayer in the church toward the evangelizing of the world. And they have many coming to faith in Christ because God is with them. 
and they see the conspicuous presence of God and they are drawn to Christ. We were in Uganda and we planted three, four uh, campuses of the College of Prayer around Uganda, but one of them is in Gulu, which is the home of the invisible children. If you've seen the videos on YouTube, you've seen one of the deepest atrocities on earth is there in Gulu, where one tribe comes to the city of Gulu and captures their children at night, takes them back, trains them to be warriors, go back and kill their own parents, families, ruin their villages. It's a horrible desecration of humanity. It's going on right there. We had a college of prayer there. We had 3,000 students in the college of prayer in Gulu. The victimized tribe, several of them stood up and confessed their bitterness and and resentment uh, toward the victimizing tribe and repented in, in uh, for their bitterness and asked forgiveness. Then the victimizing tribe representatives came, 500 of them. They were wailing and crying out for forgiveness of those that they had harmed. How can we forgive you? You should, we need to ask you to forgive us. And there were three hours of nonstop repentance with 3,000 people from one tribe and the other being reconciled. Members of parliament said, we never thought we'd live to see this day. And they said the College of Prayer is changing the world. What they meant was what God is doing here among these people is making a change that was humanly impossible. God is among you. We, we were in, we were in Colombia and you prayed for us. Joanne and I shared. Uh, Mike and Lisa Plunkett and their congregation led, they had about 11 from their church go to Columbia. We started a campus of the College of Prayer a year ago. There are now, as we've mentioned, six around the country. They have a goal for 28 in the next three years. It's absolutely amazing. There are 40 denominations using the curriculum that was written right here at Lilburn Alliance Church. And these different denominations are coming to see God among them. And there are people from the drug lord groups that are coming to faith in Christ because they're being treated so badly among the drug lords. They see the love of God in the church, and it's the love in the church that's winning Columbia for Christ. When we were in, when we were in Congo several years ago, I see Bruce here, I'm going to tell this story. Uh, Bruce Bliss uh, went with me uh, to Congo, and it was amazing. God broke into the meeting. There was deep repentance, and then there was foot washing. There were several children on bikes that drove into the compound where we were meeting, and the children asked a missionary, what's going on here? We've never seen anything like this before. There's such unity. There's such love. Explain to us what's going on. And that missionary who had not led anyone to Christ for three years led the whole group of children to Christ that night because the children saw that God was among them. Now, that's what we're talking about. We want to go with you because we see that God is with you. 
And this is what God wants for every one of our life groups, in every one of our neighborhoods, to be housing groups where the love of God hangs out, where God does extraordinary things and works miracles and changes lives so that the others in the neighborhood say, hey, can we come? We hear that God is with you. Do you see that vision? Is Zechariah igniting anything in your hearts? Zechariah was written during a time when there were only 50,000 Jews that went back to Jerusalem. And yet he says about a day when many nations and language groups and the megacities of the world will come to Jerusalem. Was he smoking something? No. God was giving him a vision of a day that was a long way off. That was 2,500 years ago. But that vision burns in my heart today as if it was just given. That's the church. And when it says ten non-Jews will take hold of one Jew, is that ethnic Jew or spiritual Jew? I'm not going to debate it with anyone. But I'll take it as a spiritual Jew. I'll take it for us. Because the reality is, is that God is with us. And that's not a theory. It's a fact. God is with us. We are His temple. He dwells here among us. Now, God uses every means possible to communicate His vision. And to Zechariah, He communicated by word, as we've seen ten times in chapter 8 alone. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. But He also communicated through visions. The angelic horsemen of chapter 1 and horns and blacksmiths, chapter 2, the measuring line, chapter 3, Joshua's dirty clothes of the high priest, chapter 4, the golden candlestick, the flying scroll of chapter 5 and the ephah and the four chariots of chapter 6. But it's the prophet of the Holy Spirit. It is Zechariah 4, verse 6, that says it's not by strength nor might but by My Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not by human strength that you can generate a prayer movement, but it's the Spirit of God that does that. Chapter 6, verse 8 talks about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 7, verse 12 talks about the Holy Spirit. Then we come to chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. I will pour out a spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. God only has one spirit. It's the Spirit of God. He pours out His Spirit, which is a spirit of grace, of unmerited favor, of kindness, of love, and supplication. It's always God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's always when the, the God the Father pours out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that we enjoy spending time with Him. 
It's how He converts us to spend time with Him. He pours out His Spirit of grace. And we recognize, what have I been missing? Why have I been waiting so long to spend time with Him in prayer? And then He gives us a spirit of supplication. It's the spirit of prayer. And when He does that, all bets are off. A person who couldn't pray before is now able to pray. How many of you, and just let's just keep it real here. How many of you have ever said, I'm not too good when it comes to praying? How many of you have ever felt that? Yeah. Now hang on. It doesn't depend on you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why He does this. I was not a natural born prayer. Nobody's a natural born prayer. You show me someone who can pray. It's someone who's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 26, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and groans for us with groanings too deep for words. It's the Holy Spirit. Or why Paul said to the church in Ephesus chapter 6 verse 18, and pray in the Spirit with all prayer. The Holy Spirit mobilizes and motivates all prayer. He's the Spirit of grace and supplication. And that's why we have a chapter 8, verses 20 to 23, with masses of people going to entreat God, where the gathering together of God's people is characterized by prayer the way Jesus wanted it when He went through and cleansed the temple with His whip and overturned the tables. He said, My Father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And it's going to be a house of prayer for all nations when He pours out His Spirit and converts us to Himself in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when you come to the end of Zechariah, for all of you who live in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your college campus, in your place of employment, listen to what will one day be fulfilled. And this is probably a millennial scripture but it's one that we should prophetically embrace today. And here it is. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and on the cooking pots. You know what that means? That means that one day you're not going to see Ford or Hyundai or Toyota on the back of your car, you're going to see holy to the Lord. When you pull up any website, they're all going to say holy to the Lord. When you look at any brand of clothing, instead of Ralph Lauren or Tommy Hilfiger or FUBU or whatever it is, it's holy to the Lord. It's not going to be Tupperware or whatever other things in Put on your pots. Pot liquor. It's going to be holy to the Lord. That's what it says. You look at your tie. It's going to be not Brooks Brothers. It's going to be holy to the Lord. Now what this is saying is, right now, we ought to stamp holy to the Lord on everything. It ought to be on our desk. It ought to be on our dashboard. It ought to be on our screensaver, holy to the Lord. It ought to be on our, our investments, all our accounts, 
holy to the Lord. That ought to be stamped on our marriage certificate, on every birth certificate of our children, holy to the Lord. Summer 2012. If you haven't done it yet, put it right on top of it. Holy to the Lord. Because we as believers, when we know that we're embraced by God, when we're owned by God, when He possesses us, when we are His, we don't resent the holiness of God, we run toward it. I often pray, Lord, stamp holy to the Lord on every cell in my body, on every thought in my mind, on every area of my life, on every bill in my billfold, on every credit card. Holy to the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, when I saw the hands of those who have struggled with prayer, I think of the incredible story that came out of the London Marathon. Claire Lomas. She was one of 36,000 runners to run 26.2 miles through the streets of London. Claire Lomas. She's pictured here. And she, I predict, will go down as the one whom everyone will remember from this year's London Marathon, Claire Lomas. I challenge you, does anyone know who won the race? I'll give you a second. It wasn't Claire. I didn't think so. Few will ever remember who won. She didn't win. In fact, she lost. She not only lost, she finished some 14 days later. She was not even given a medal, at least not by the group that ran the marathon. But you see, in 2007... She had a horrible accident and was paralyzed from the chest down. You heard me right. She is still paralyzed from the chest down. And she ran every kilometer. Every yard. It took her 14 days. And there were more people there when she finished than when most of the others finished. In fact, 15 of those who got medals gave her theirs because of all that she overcame. And in many ways, because of our nature being enemies of God, for any of us to become prayers, it is as much a miracle. Because God has to raise from the dead and activate our ability to move toward God, to recognize Him as God, and to desire His presence, and to desire to meet with others in His presence. It's all the work of God. It's all the work of His Spirit. No, Claire Lomax encourages me as one who's still learning to pray. 
Still praying, Lord, teach me to pray. Activate in me the ability to move in your direction toward the finish line and to do whatever I can to bring others with me. This morning we want to respond to God. We want to have a time to pray. If you need to leave, you're welcome to do so. But I want to open up this time to meet God. We've been praying for a long time. But I believe that the season is changing. That God is awakening desire in us to pray, to spend time in prayer, to seek God, to be part of a great global movement of prayer that recognizes that God is among us. And we want to respond to that God today. And if you have a need, we want you to come and receive prayer. If you've been down, if you've been depressed, battling depression, would you come? We want to pray over you. We want to break that off of you. God's got something better. If you felt paralyzed from the chest down, unable to move toward God on your own, there's those that want to pray with you and help you. You can come and kneel here at the front on your own, or you can be seated if you'd like someone to pray with you. We want to meet God this morning. Would you stand together? Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Won't you engage us? Sound the trumpet, Lord. Sound the trumpet, Lord. Rally your people, Lord. Rally your people. Rally us in prayer. Lord, that we would take opportunities to meet with you in prayer. That we would want to. That it wouldn't be some religious obligation, some duty that someone else puts on us. But Lord, would you activate in us a longing, a heart cry, a desire, a true hunger and thirst for righteousness, for your presence. Hallelujah.